You're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. The anatomy of a lipidologist. What does it mean to be a pioneer in this new evolving landscape? Joining me today is Dr. Tara Dahl, board-certified lipidologist and medical director of the Cholesterol and Lifestyle Center in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Tara, for our listeners out there who have never even heard of what a lipidologist is, can you tell me exactly what it is you do? A lipidologist means I am basically an expert in the management of lipids and cholesterol disorders. What I do is run a cholesterol clinic, which is set up to basically manage complex lipid disorders as well as really address primary and secondary prevention of heart disease. So we certainly uh, manage blood pressure, diabetes, weight management, all of those things that put us at risk for heart disease. Dr. Dahl, how did you get into this field? What first interested you to it? Well, basically, when I was in residency, I was exposed to a really strong preventive cardiology program at UW-Madison. And I was interested in the field of preventive cardiology, but decided to pursue a family practice residency because I couldn't really make a decision about wanting to focus on one specific area in my life. I also had an interest in a lot of other prevention issues in women's health. So basically went into private practice for about five years. And in the process of being in that practice, I did a lot of advanced lipid testing using NMR lipo profiles and became more and more interested in the nuances of lipid management and really primary prevention, early detection of heart disease. And then at one point, I was actually at a, at a drug rep program, and one of the reps mentioned to me that there was an opportunity to become board certified in clinical lipidology. So all of a sudden, all these light bulbs are going off, and I thought, oh, I love lipids. I'm doing advanced lipid testing, and this is something that would be just a, you know greater of interest for me. And so I decided to really pursue that more, more seriously through the National Lipid Association and the programs that they offer to become board certified and actually decided to ultimately leave my very busy primary care practice in order to really pursue this seriously and put together proposals for a lipid clinic and present it to various hospital systems in the area. That must have been a pretty difficult decision and transition. It was It was a difficult decision. It definitely affected uh, the pocketbook a bit <laughs> before I had a job. I think it was really the right decision when I look at what I'm doing now. I absolutely love this field. I think it would have been very difficult to maintain a primary care practice at the same time as running a lipid practice, which is basically set up as a referral practice. thought it would be more difficult to be able to get referrals from other primary care doctors if I was also still doing primary care. So I think it was what I needed to do, but it was definitely difficult for about nine months before I started uh, picking up the pace again in the clinic. So how are you going about getting your referrals? The best way I got referrals was doing a tremendous amount of meeting with physicians. You know, I did a lot of lunch programs where I would go and just meet with different offices and tell them what I was doing to try to remove any any sense of threat Mm -hmm. to them. I did a lot of education programs, CME events, just on lipids in general, just to establish myself as an expert in the field. And really, that's where most of the referrals have come from. Now, there's a certain percentage of referrals now that are actually they're self-referrals from patients, where patients tell their patients they're happy and then they, they come on in the door. But I would say still about 80% of my practice is really referrals from other physicians. So are you getting to see any of these exciting, rare lipid cases that you talked about, the uh, exotic ones? I've had a handful of exotic ones. And, you know, it's the ones that are the real significant abnormalities, certainly those are the ones that seem to come in my door as as no-brainers. They need to be sent to someone who can deal with those, like the patients with the triglycerides of, you know, 3,000 or something on four drugs already. I also see, you know, again, some of the primary prevention patients are, are people who actually have even normal cholesterol, 
but they have really bad family histories. And, you know, those are, even though they're maybe less complex, they're actually very interesting, and those are patients that you can really start to, again, look at the nuances of some of the advanced testing available to really sort out why is it that dad and brother and everyone else is having heart attacks in their 40s. So what have you found? When you, you said you mentioned you use the NMR, mm-hmm. advanced lipid testing. Do you use any of the other ones, or is that your uh, primary well, choice? Well, I, I use the NMR as my, in all honesty, I use it as my lipid panel. I don't even order traditional lipid panel. So I, I definitely get that routinely. I do order, um, in appropriate patients, lipoprotein little A's, and I get the LPPLA2 or the plaque test. Mm-hmm. I get some CRPs. Occasionally, I'll get an ApoE genotype on a patient I'm trying to, you know, make a specific genetic diagnosis on, right. but I don't order that routinely. No, that's a one-time shot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't need that over and over again. In terms of follow-up, do you even order a lipid panel, or are you always using nope. the NMR? I've been using NMRs. I've been doing them now for about 10 years, and I really have gotten very used to kind of the, the, the subtle little nuances of the NMR that really help me make decisions about what drug I need to use next. And so instead of putzing around trying to pick things that might work, I figure out what I think they're going to need right from the get-go and, and put them on two or three drugs at once if that's what it takes, and then send them on their way, bring them back in six to eight weeks and see what happened. And I think the NMR really helps me do that. So that, that's really what I, I have done routinely. One of the reasons I order that versus some of the other tests that are available is I really think the most important number to know in lipids is LDL particle number. And at least at this point, the NMR is the only one that really gives you the particle concentration, although things like ApoB can certainly be used and and are certainly very similar. I've just been accustomed to using NMR and I get more information than just the particle concentration on it, which is why I use that. But certainly, you know, using an ApoB would be just just as effective. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm with Dr. Tara Dahl, board-certified lipidologist and medical director of the Cholesterol and Lifestyle Center in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Dr. Dahl, we're talking about particle number, Does the NMR help you a little bit with particle size? It definitely gives you that information, but I have to say I'm a size doesn't matter person when it comes to lipids, that basically when you're trying to assess someone's risk, whether they have large particles or small particles, really it doesn't matter. I mean, they can have large particles and be very high risk. That would be seen in a patient with familial hypercholesterolemia, which is, as you know, an LDL receptor defect. Those patients make large particles but they have way too many of them and are at very high risk because of it. Basically, though, you can have a patient at risk with very large particles as well as a patient at risk with small particles. What helps me with particle size is being able to determine what drug I should use. I mean, if someone has large particles and they've got a lot of them and they've got you know, a high particle number, there's somebody who's going to need drug therapy to drive that down with you know, typical things like statins and, and azetamine, things like that. If they have small particles, that's a patient that's more likely to have issues with insulin resistance. And really, the treatment pattern is very different. I'm going to do a lot more focus on lifestyle modifications. And if they have diabetic markers, even address their lipids by using diabetes drugs. So I actually pick different meds based on what I'm seeing in the particle size assessment, as well as the metabolic syndrome markers that you also get from the NMR test. So if I'm to understand you, particle size kind of co-traffics with other sinister molecules such as high triglycerides, low HDL in in many of the diabetics and the metabolic syndrome patients. Right, right. So take me through an average case of how you're kind of deciding what drug to use when you get particle number. Okay, well, if we're talking about like a drug-naive patient, Mm -hmm. so I get an NMR analysis on them, and the very top number, which is the most important number, will tell me the actual LDL particle concentration. That number optimally would be less than 1,000, best way to determine what the number should be is basically you add a zero to your LDL cholesterol goal. 
So if someone's LDL cholesterol goal you've deemed to be 100, the particle goal should be less than 1,000. If you feel the patient is lower risk and an, an LDL cholesterol of 130 is acceptable, then a particle number of 1,300 would be the acceptable surrogate. So that's how you determine what the number should be in the first place. Now, obviously, if that number is elevated, let's say it's 1,800, then you look at the next panel, and the next part of the NMR actually gives you the traditional lipid panel. So it'll give you the breakdown of the HDL, triglycerides, and total cholesterol, and then the calculated LDL just from Friedewald equation. So basically, that will give you some more information as to why is that particle number high. Now, if you have a low HDL or you have a high triglyceride, that may be part of the reason for that elevated LDL particle number, it might be an insulin-resistant issue. Obviously, if the patient has, you know, a normal triglyceride HDL access but has a very abnormal or has a, just a high LDL cholesterol with a high particle number, that's going to be more likely to be one of the genetic conditions like familial hypercholesterolemia. So then what you do is you look down at the next panel, which gives you metabolic syndrome markers, and they basically give you the breakdown of characteristics that we see in patients with metabolic syndrome and diabetes. So the first part of that is going to give you a size analysis, and it's going to tell you whether the patient is pattern A or pattern B. If they're pattern A, and they have a very large particle number, and they have no major issues with the triglyceride HDL axis, that's pretty much diagnostic of familial hypercholesterolemia. And that's something you're going to hit with definitely a statin, maybe even a combination uh, medication with azetamide. If, if it's very high and you know you're going to need to get you know, more than a 50% reduction, to get them to goal. If, on the other hand, you have a patient with a high particle number, and now you have, instead of pattern A, you have pattern B, and you also have other markers of metabolic syndrome. You have large VLDL particles. You have a, a low number of large HDL particles, which are, you know, something you want more of. Those are also characteristics of, you know, metabolic syndrome. Now, the NMR is nice. They give you little check marks at the bottom, and they just check the boxes if there's abnormalities present. I find that helpful, actually, when I talk to a patient, because I basically tell them, look, if you've got check marks here, that means you're basically at high risk for diabetes. And it helps them understand that and helps them understand our treatment approach. So in a patient with all three metabolic syndrome markers and a high LDL particle number, I will probably utilize more lifestyle changes, might use that first even without a medication. If they're high risk, I usually end up using medications like metformin and actose to address the underlying insulin resistance in addition to the, you know, lifestyle issues. So I do a lot of education with nutrition and give everyone pedometers and, and really try to encourage um, lifestyle modifications. Let's pursue that a little more, Tara. Lifestyle changes are extremely difficult in the Chicagoland area. So what are you doing over there that you specifically, what are you doing at your center that's unique that is that is actually making some change and some impact? Well, first of all, I think we employed a couple nurse practitioners to do a lot of kind of motivational counseling and interviewing for people. A lot of times it's a matter of just providing the support people need. And stopping their cheese intake. <laughs> exactly. And beer, I guess. Right. Yeah. We also provide every patient with a pedometer, and we give this to them, and we give them a prescription on their first visit. And this is, in all honesty, regardless of what their numbers show, because I think everybody, everybody should incorporate lifestyle, you know, heart-healthy lifestyle. So we give them a pedometer, and we give them a prescription for a number of steps per day that they need to have before their next visit. And we're going to base that somewhat on where they start, we give them a goal of 10,000 steps a day as really being optimal, but we tell them, you know, if they're very, very sedentary, you know, maybe 5,000 steps a day is going to be more more realistic goal initially. So we try to set goals that they're going to be able to make, you know, in the next six weeks, six to eight weeks. 
we also try to help them come up with ways to be more active, and we actually sit down with them and give them very specific recommendations. I think when a doctor says you need to go exercise 60 to 90 minutes a day, see you later, close the door, the patients are overwhelmed by that. They have no idea where to start. And so we sit down with the patient. We say, look, what's your routine? You know, if you're somebody who works, comes home, eats dinner, and then sits in front of the TV, and that's your routine, to relax, well, then what we try to encourage them to do is find a way to move while they're watching TV. So maybe that's getting an exercise bike. Maybe that's walking in place. Maybe that's buying a little mini trampoline that you can jump up and down in front of your TV. I try to, you know, if, there, if there's people who are interested in other forms of exercise, tell them, you know, you don't necessarily have to go to a gym and work out 60 minutes. I mean, if you like dancing, go take a ballroom dancing class or a belly dance class or, or you know, something interesting, something that you're gonna, that's going to appeal to you, that's going to be fun. Well, I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Tara Dahl, board-certified lipidologist and medical director of the Cholesterol and Lifestyle Center. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals.